Welcome to Terminal Value. So everything I do here at Terminal Value is based around one big question, and that is how do growth-oriented people transform their business and their life to achieve world-class levels of value in everything they do? That is the question, and I am here to bring you the answers. My name is Doug Utberg, and this is Terminal Value. I publish new podcast episodes five times per week. So make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any content. And also make sure to follow me on social. You can just look for the Doug Utberg handle. Please comment and let me know your thoughts. I'm looking forward to working together so that we can make your life amazing. Welcome to the Terminal Value Podcast. We have Nicholas Longano with us today, and we're going to be talking about the secrets to growing your business by meeting a market need. And yeah, of course, right, whenever you use word like secrets, it sounds a little bit like shameless clickbait, um, but you know, there really are some secrets to it. And But the, the big, big secret is really aligning your business with a legitimate market need. Because in the pre-show, Nicholas and I talked a little bit about the idea of build it and they will come philosophy. There are a lot of entrepreneurs who have a, you know, what seems like a really good idea. They go out and build it and assume that people will come to find it. And sometimes that doesn't happen. Now, sometimes you can also build something that really does address a legitimate market need and you can still have trouble finding people will come to find it. That's one of the things that we're going to unpack today is really identifying a market need and then going about testing whether that resonates with people so that if it turns out that, you know, you swung the bat and missed the ball, that you can come back and do it again. So anyway, Nicholas, don't let me talk too much. Please introduce yourself. I'm Nicholas Longano. And it's uh, great to be here today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right. Well, so walk us through a little bit about you know, kind of your personal story. So you have a corporate background and you've transitioned to become an entrepreneur, very similar to a significant number of guests on the show. But just walk us through a little bit of some of the things that you've learned throughout your career. Yeah, my career, and I'm obviously aging myself here, dates back to the 80s. Following graduating, I uh, was fortunate enough to work with a company called Cadbury Schweppes, a global company. That allowed me to launch into the Australian market some uh-huh. amazing global brands like Pepsi, Sunkist, Evian. Then I went on to work with L'Oreal and Revlon and Calvin Klein before getting into video games in 2000. So, you know, that was, and I do believe that, uh, you know, part of your career path is uh, sure, you've got to have some smarts, but at the end of the day, there's also a bit of luck involved in it as well. And I was fortunate enough that uh, my first entry into video games was uh, with Blizzard. 2000 was a pretty good time to be around Blizzard. It really was with the likes of World of Warcraft, etc. And then again, luck has it. So I spent four years. I was also general manager of Universal Interactive, where we made the theatrical based games like, Uh for example. And then one day out of the blue, I got a phone call from a fellow Aussie that wanted to talk to someone in the video gaming space. And he had an idea. Yeah. Hey, mate. I was playing Grand Theft Auto this weekend. He says, can I bend your ear? I had an idea. And I said, yeah, sure, go ahead. So he said, I noticed that in the game, you know, all the storefronts, the brands were, you know, mock brands, right? Instead of having Gap, you had Goop, et cetera. He said, why is that? And then secondly, is there a place for brands within video games? 
So I thought about it and I said, well, you know, in the case of Grand Theft Auto, most brands don't really want to be associated with violence (laughs) and and what you do within the game, which is fine. It's a tremendous game. It's very funny too, right? Well, it was in the day. I'm not sure you can make games like that again today without (laughs) some, uh, you know, upsetting some people. But my point is he had a great idea and there was a need for that idea because game publishers at that time were shipping products out to retail. You sold your video your video games through GameStop, through mm-hmm. Walmart, etc. And if your game didn't sell in the first couple of months, they would put them back in the boxes and yeah. ship back out to you, right? And so through that and through his idea of advertising, it provided game makers with a brand new revenue stream. So I said, yeah, there is something there. And as long as it's done contextually, like you wouldn't expect to see a billboard in World of Warcraft. That makes no sense. But would yeah. you expect to see one in a NASCAR race or something that has, yeah. you know, modern day settings? Absolutely. And there was a need. There was a need because game makers required a secondary revenue stream, which they just didn't have. So I yeah. joined. So there began my journey as an entrepreneur. And I got to tell you, it hooked me. Within two years after we launched, we got the attention of Microsoft and they thought that what we had built was so good that the biggest company in the world said, we will acquire you. And I got to tell you, if anything does anything for your ego, it is being acquired by the biggest company in the world. Right. (laughs) So that was my entry into the entrepreneurial space. First time selling to Microsoft And then basically helping over the course of the years after I'd done my time with Microsoft, basically helping other entrepreneurs bring their ideas to market, whether it was in the technology space or, you know, for that matter, just uh, any type of goods and services. So it's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and because I'm a little younger than you, but not that much. For example, one of the things my son and I bond over a lot is retro gaming. So I was a big fan of you know the Super Mario Brothers series from the 1980s. I still, to me, Mark, Super Mario 3 is still the best game that's ever been published. Other people will differ with from me. But I think the, the idea of moving things like context-based advertising into games, I think is actually a I don't know whether it's a net positive evolution from a societal perspective. I'll leave that to the social anthropologist. But from a business model perspective, it's brilliant because it does a couple of things. I think number one, it creates another revenue stream and it can eventually create a cross subsidy and or enable you to be able to put together freemium services that aren't the usual you know, massive multiplayer online pay to win things that just Basically, they just pollute your phone. You know, the moment you open up the Apple Store, Play Store, you're just inundated with all these new apps that are basically, okay, you know, you'll you'll make a whole lot of progress for about a day and a half. And, you know, and then if you want to avoid getting bored, you just have to start clicking yes, buy, yes, buy, yes, buy. I like the idea of kind of breaking that model a little bit, you know, and then and also providing new medium for advertisers to really get in front of the people who they're targeting. Right. And that's exactly what we're doing today. So my new adventure is called Scooty. Scooty is a brand new G-commerce and advertising platform for video games. If you know and you play video games, particularly on mobile devices, especially the free-to-play, something like 90% of those games that are downloaded are free-to-play, right? The game developers or the makers of those games have to make a living. They have to, you know, generate revenue somehow. So up until now, they've been using advertising formats, not how we created them 20 years ago with Massive. That was contextual in-game and it was relevant. didn't impact the gameplay experience. However, today, a lot of the game makers, through no fault of their own, 
unfortunately are working with companies that are using unsavory practices when it comes to advertising. And I'm not trying to disparage. It's just, when I say unsavory, I mean that they put the X button in a location that has you or forces you to click outside of your game. And so it breaks yeah. the gameplay experience. It, truth be told, it upsets most gamers, right? I'm a gamer as well. I play those games. Yeah. And it's the reason, again, we go back to needs, right? It's mm -hmm. a reason why I created Scooty to stop that practice, to yeah. stop people from invading on people's privacy, using trackers, cookies. So we've created an advertising system which has no trackers, no cookies. If a player would like to give us any information such as gender and year of birth so that we can curate mm -hmm. the right products for them, right, then that's a big plus. And then the whole premise of the platform is you shop every day, right? Or every yeah. week, right? Correct. Imagine that everything that you buy, you get up to 5% back in the form of rewards, which we call scooties, right? Yeah. Now you can use those rewards or scooties to enhance your game experience. So brands, the brands that you engage with and buy every day are now helping you get a better game experience. So that I buy a $100 pair of uh, sneakers. Yeah. That sneaker company is giving me up to $5 back in terms of a reward. And now I take that reward and I can spend it in my game. You win. You will get the same shoes coming from the same vendor. Yeah. There's no difference. But now you're given enough money to play your game. And the game maker's happy because not only are they making money off the sale of that shoe, they're also now getting you to spend within their game. So the ecosystem that we've created with Scooty is a huge yeah win-win-win for everybody that's involved yeah and well and also the the finance side of my brain is saying that you know if you're talking about a virtual experience and you already have the platform created the marginal cost of fulfillment for whatever their your people are send, spending their scooties on in game is zero because it's digital you know the cost is all up front in developing and fulfilling the game itself once it's out there you can deliver and fulfill rewards for no inc incremental cost so it adds another win onto that stack Hundred percent, and one of the biggest and one of the biggest expenses that any game maker has, right, is user acquisition. And it's not just game makers; yeah. anybody, every every business, market, every right? business on the face of the planet, user right. acquisition is their primary user expense. acquisition. So, could you imagine? And this is what the game industry has today, especially for hyper casual, casual games yeah. or games for free to play, is that user acquisition cost is enormous. And unfortunately, yep. they're using these advertising practices that take the player out of their game. Could you imagine this scenario? I like this. This is my analogy. Yeah. Imagine you go and watch a movie, okay? Yep. And as you're watching the movie, an ad pops up on the big screen, right? Uh -huh. And then unknown to you, you're ejected out of your movie chair, right? And you find <laughs> yourself in a mall. That's what's happening in video games today. So that's one of the practices that we're trying to stop through our platform so that these game makers are not losing those users because you probably won't go back to that game after it's ejected yeah. you several times. Yeah, exactly. Precisely. Yeah, and I think this is a little bit of a lead up, but I think it works really well to the purpose of our conversation today, which is really about finding that market need and then really orienting your business around fulfilling it. And you know, the thing that I see in the case of Scooty, that is that real market need, which is where you have a very highly disruptive in-game advertising I guess, for, I don't know if I want to say platform, we'll just say advertising custom. And you know, to date, nobody's really been able to find and implement a less disruptive way that still delivers an adequate revenue stream for the game developers and a superior experience for the game players. 
And so at least what I see that Scooty is doing is saying, okay, you know, there is a situation where you know, we have a suboptimal experience for both the game makers because you have to kick people out of the game in order to put games on. We have a suboptimal experience for advertisers because yes, you'll get some people to click, but you'll also get some people who develop a poor impression based on the ads. And you have a suboptimal experience for the game players because they end up seeing these ads that are they're either banners that disrupt their gameplay or say it's a you know 30 second or 60 second ad that you can't click out of. And if you accidentally click it, then you get taken out of the game and you have to click back buttons and all that. And so I think, you know, ultimately what you're doing is you're saying, okay, you know, what are the pain points and let's find a way to work around it. And, you know, that ultimately is what, you know, entrepreneurship and really just business itself ultimately really comes down to is figuring out a way that really improve the experience of all the stakeholders involved, right? Where you have a multifaceted, mutually beneficial transaction, you know, which as I'm fond of saying that that is what capitalism is supposed to be is voluntary, mutually beneficial transactions. It is. And I think that to take that a step further in terms of a thought, is that you've got to understand the user and the use case as well, right? So it's one thing to start thinking about, okay, what is the need here and how do I solve for a particular problem? The second one is, and and I'm sure that a lot of the uh, companies that created these ads, these banner ads in video games are set out to do, but unfortunately the execution was poor. Uh, Why is that? Easy. They took an approach that was working on the internet, web 2.0, banner ads and they said hey we serve banner ads on websites let's just serve the same banner ads into video games mm-hmm. that's a poor execution what you've got to do is you've got to take a look at the experience you've got to take a look at the user journey and then you've got to basically create something that's novel for that and it's no different to video yeah. games you port a game you can't take a pc game and port it over to handheld it doesn't work the yeah. use case is completely different And that's where people get themselves into trouble, that they don't understand the user journey or the use case when they're trying to come up with a solution. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to date myself here, but like I'm trying to think of playing Civilization on my phone. Civilization was one of my old favorite games just because, you know, there's a combination of, you know, kind of turn-based strategy. Since my background's in finance, the micromanagement, hyper-optimization, and of course, the world domination theme has always appealed. But if you try to put that onto a handheld device, it would be almost impossible to use. I mean, the gameplay was clearly on a computer. Correct. The player is going to struggle with that. So yeah. And look, you can see, you can find needs and solve problems in any industry. I'm going to go back to the 90s. I was brought on to a company called Revlon at the time. It was the beauty industry. And most people would think, oh, you know, so how can you innovate in the beauty industry? Quite easily. All you need to do, and what we did, is listen to the consumer. Listen Mm -hmm. to how they're using their products and we did that. We took several months to talk to women across the country and understand how they were using their lipsticks, makeups, eyeshadows, etc. And what we found was everybody wanted something that they could apply once and it would stay on all day. So we came yeah. up with a technology solution for that and we created this product called Colorstay. Well, lo and behold, we launched it. It went to number one right across the world, right? Across every category of beauty products. And all we did really at the end of the day was listen to the customer, to the consumer, understand Mm -hmm. what their needs were, and then come up with a technology solution in beauty. A technology solution in beauty products did not exist back then, right? It was unheard of. Everything was about color. 
right? Not about technology. And so you can disrupt literally any industry if you mm-hmm. just listen. And I think that that's one of the biggest mistakes that many big companies make is they get so big, they stop listening because they think that they can then dictate to the consumer what they want yeah. versus listen to what they need, right? Which is no surprise. Look at any industry and very few are being disrupted by the actual market leaders, right? Yeah. With, it's you know, always new entrants. Correct. It's always the new entrance because we take the time to listen and craft a solution for that market and ultimately disrupt it. Yeah. Well, and this is one of my, uh, you know, one of the many ticks that I have is like, you know, just about everybody I encounter who wants to do exactly what you're talking about, which is where they basically want to dictate to the market what they're going to buy. They all think they're Steve Jobs. And the truth of the matter is that there's only been one Steve Jobs ever. Everybody else who's tried to do that has basically failed. And what makes you think that you're going to be number two out of 8 billion people? you got to admire that drive, though. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I, do, I do admire it. And if you can take that drive and that determination and really focus it, right, into something that can really make a difference out there in the marketplace. And I think if you channel it the right way, yeah. the next step is just the, in the execution, right? Yeah. And you ever to have a team behind you that can execute. For example, even when developing Scooty, it only started off as an idea. And how did it start off as an idea? I was watching my son play, I think it was Destiny at the time, Destiny yeah. 2, with his friends, and they were talking amongst themselves and that's how Scooty was born from that conversation. And the rest is history. Got it. But that's one thing. The next thing you need to do is be able to execute. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and because there's one other thing that I was thinking too, I want to go back to your Revlon example, because I think that's really powerful. One thing that you uh, took out of that was that there was a, you implemented a technology-based solution in an industry that had a very minimal amount of historic technological innovation. But the second thing that I think is really important is that you branded around that and got recognized for that because at least, you know, consumable or cosmetics type of industry is that the actual compounds, you know, and the people I know, they call it the glop, but the glop is more or less the same across all the brands. And if you create a, put a technology solution to where you figure out a new kind of glop, it's only a matter of time before it gets copied. But if you are identified with that, say, for example, you know, if you have lipstick that stays on all day, once your brand is identified with that, it doesn't matter if people copy the actual compound. That brand is stuck and will have staying power. Now what you have to do is you have to avoid becoming complacent and figure out what is that next evolution that you need to drive to, even if it cannibalizes some of your existing stales, which is what 99% of companies are utterly and completely unwilling to do. Well, that's absolutely right. And you have to take a look at the uh, commodities market and how P&G does it, right? Yeah in terms of recreating in one category their own competition, right? Yep. Sure, it's going to cannibalize on some of their business, but ultimately it's going to grow their overall business. So here yes. is my laundry detergent, number one. Now I'm going to create laundry detergent number two, number three, and number four. And each one meets a different need in the marketplace. Why leave that to competition when you can own that completely yourself and create a competition amongst your own brands? Correct. 
Yeah. And I think that's the idea of self-disruption. You know, this is getting back to the Clayton Christensen innovators dilemma, which it was interesting that, you know, I spent a lot of my career at the company that inspired the book, The Innovator's Dilemma. So for anybody who's not familiar, Clayton Christensen wrote a book quite a while ago now called The Innovator's Dilemma, which was written largely about Intel. I think Intel and General Motors were the two most frequently used examples, but it's where you have a highly profitable main product line. And so what you end up doing is you have a natural incentive to direct resources, talent, budget, et cetera, toward that highly profitable main product line. And if you put a new product line together, you'll say, that's not as profitable as the main line. We're going to focus. Well, eventually, all that focus on your highly profitable main product line will stop its growth. And then at some point, you will have no other business because you killed off everything that required harder work or more creativity or more discipline so that you could focus effort on the thing that made you the most money. So this is a situation where what makes the most sense in the short term will kill you in the long term. And that's the dilemma that pretty much every business person has to figure out. Yeah. The industry that surprises me the most time and time again is I do recall a conversation, not a conversation, but it was an attack in the 90s where the technology industry, and I won't name who said it, but the technology industry was accusing the car industry of uh, not progressing, right? There was very little technology in cars in the 90s, right? Yes. In the 80s for that matter. But you look at the car industry today, there's electric cars, there's people working on solar cars, there are cars that drive yeah. themselves, park themselves, etc. If companies, if all companies could learn from yeah. that, and that is to continue to disrupt their space, right, then they wouldn't see as many of the little folks or entrepreneurs like myself coming in and disrupting their industries in the manner in which we do. Yeah, It doesn't need to be that way. Got it. All right. Well, hey, uh, Nicholas, this has been a wonderful conversation. I was wondering, could you just give us maybe like one or two last thoughts uh, since we're pretty close to time and then let everybody know where they can find more, right? Uh, let us know your website and what are your favorite socials? What are my favorite social? Yes, yeah, your favorite social network. Sorry, oh. I, I'm, I'm, using, I'm using street lingo like the kids. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, the, this will actually might surprise you. I don't actually use any social media because I'm a happy guy. <laughs> I just, yeah. uh, <laughs> I just, I don't use had a mind grenade go off. Nope. I only use LinkedIn as the only one. And that's for business purposes that I do use that and to keep in contact with old colleagues. Uh, but outside of that, I don't, I don't use it because I see what it does. So I'm not a fan of it, to be honest with you. And just in terms of thoughts, it is about, you know, constantly looking to evolve. You know, we all as human beings look to evolve ourselves, right? Make ourselves better every day, whether it's in mm -hmm. taking vitamins for our bodies, working out, et cetera. I think we need to do the same thing in terms of challenging our minds as well in the Got thing it. that we do every day, which is work, right? So I think that by looking through for opportunities, looking at needs, problems that are there in the marketplace right in front of you, every industry has yeah. a problem that needs to be solved, I think that that is probably one of the best approaches for any entrepreneur to go out there and make an impact on their industry. Outstanding. Outstanding. And let's see. So, and, and your website, it's obviously Scooty, S-C-U-T-I dot S-T-O-R-E, but are there any yeah. other websites? We have, yeah, we have three different to? websites. If it's a brand that wants to know more about how to uh, market directly to video gamers, it's, it's the scootymarketplace.com. Game makers that are looking to monetize and retain their players is scooty.games. And then we have another site called scootyrewards.com, and that is for players. And we tell them all about the great brands that can actually help them earn Scooty so that they get greater and better game experiences. Outstanding. Well, hey, Nicholas, I really Scooty appreciate it. Scooty has social media. I do not. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's actually probably a really productive balance. <laughs> but Nicholas, I really appreciate your time today. You got it, Doug. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. All right. Hey, thanks for watching to the end of the video. There's just a couple of things that I need from you right now. Number one is I need you to subscribe. If you're not already a subscriber to the channel, please hit the subscribe button and turn notifications on. That way you will know every time I publish new content. Number two, comment. Share your thoughts. I want to know what you did and didn't like. What should I make next? And number three, share this with your friends. Go on to Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn, wherever you, uh, you hang out socially, and then post a link to this video and let people know what you liked about it and make sure to tag me. And then what I would also like to do is I would like to offer you the most incredible free gift ever. And this is related to my business where I help other businesses reduce their contract related costs. If you are a decision maker at a business, then I want to talk with you to see about how we can address your contract costs and drive savings. If you know somebody who is a business decision maker, then I would like you to help me get in contact with them. And in exchange, I am going to give you a absolutely free vacation at one of 30 places across the United States with no obligation and no timeshare pitch. Uh, the value of this, again, depending on how much savings we achieve, can literally be between thousands and millions. So anyway, just hit the button below for the most incredible free gift ever. Make sure to subscribe, share, and comment, and watch the next video because I'll be at you with more.